Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and inspirationista, Sherry Dunlevy. Grief does not have to last forever. It should not be allowed to. When we lose our spouse, it changes us forever, but that doesn't mean that this loss should define us forever. There are no stages, that there, but there are most definitely phases, and these phases are determined by the griever, not those around them. These are words written in a wonderful book about to be released soon called The Rebellious Widow, and I'm so glad and happy and grateful to be welcoming Jill Johnson Young to the podcast. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So tell me, um, The Rebellious Widow, what does that come from? That comes from being tired of the widow rules and being told how I'm supposed to grieve as opposed to me deciding how I'm supposed to grieve and watching so many, particularly women, but in general, all grievers, being told what the rules are about them and how they're supposed to do grief. And the weird thing is all the rules are different depending on who's telling you. So it's confusing and it's hurtful and it absolutely isn't helpful. The rebellious widow is someone who says, it's my loss, it's my grief, I'm going to get through this and I'm not going to grieve forever. Right. It's And so don't you think that it starts with making that decision or making that choice? It does. It starts with boundaries and really being able to say, you know, this is my loss. You don't get to tell me how I'm doing my loss, which is what I tell my grief clients. This is your choice. We're going to talk about how to make it healthy for you, but you get to choose who's in, who's not how you're gonna do it, it's your time frame, but I don't wanna see anyone saying, this is gonna define who I am for the rest of my life and I'm gonna grieve forever. I don't want Queen Victoria because she got all boxed in. Right. And the sad part was she actually wasn't boxed in. She just had to hide she wasn't boxed in. She had a whole yeah, life it, it outside you in, of it. Yeah, it's like role-playing. Mm-hmm. It is. It You're role playing is. the the role of the of the widow of the of the griever. Absolutely, and you know, I I had done hospice for a very long time before I was widowed the first time, and then the second time. But back in the day, all of our curriculum for doing grief support groups was: you don't make any changes for a year, you will not have any relationships for a year, you will not do this, you will not do that. There's a whole lot of thou shalt nots. And it's not realistic, especially for people who've gone through like a long illness with somebody. If you do a chronic illness, you tend to be finished sooner, but the people around you aren't. And it causes this conflict. And that boxes someone in, unless you really look at it as, no, I'm doing it my way. And and I got that the first time because within a week of having been widowed the first time, a good friend of mine at the time took me out for coffee Mm-hmm. sitting at you know a local coffee shop and she said you have to understand there are rules and you can't oh seriously and I was like what she said there are widow rules and fortunately someone tipped me off so I did it right so I'm going to tip you off so you can play it because the rules <laughs> the rule about the rules is you have to look like you're doing the rules even if you're not so don't look too happy but 
don't look too sad because that'll make other people sad. If you're going to go out for a meal, make sure you go out of town because you don't want anyone walking past and seeing you at a table with someone and then misinterpreting it and your planet blowing up while you're simply having a meal and practicing having dinner with someone other than your spouse. Like there's all these rules. And <laughs> she said, if you Written bring- by who? <laughs> everybody. I know, isn't that part, crazy? Right? Like how many times have people who've been grieving heard, but you're doing this too fast. You're doing this too slow. There's weird expectations about grief. And, you know, 30 years after I started hospice, 30 some years after hospice, we're still doing some of the same rules. Right. So let's let's go back before we move forward, because I want you have an impressive resume when it comes to, <laughs> uh, you know, professional experience. And then you couple that with real life experience. So, I mean, I, I think that that both are incredibly useful. But if I want to go from uh, step A to step B, I want to follow someone who's done it, not someone yeah. who's going to tell me how to do it. Boots on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and you have both. So please just share with us your resume a little bit. Well, I did hospice as a social medical social worker. And then I ended up supervising all of the chaplains and social workers and grief team and whatnot at a large hospice in central Florida. I love hospice. It's, it's where my heart is because the ability to be with someone in the preparing for a loss with a family and to be present at someone's death is such a moment that you just, you never forget. And then being able to see people grow through their grief as opposed to sit in their grief is just, it's an incredible thing to do as a social worker and as a therapist. It's some of the most change-making work you can do with someone. And then I also have worked for Child Protective Services and had done adoptions, which is also loss-based because when you are taking children from homes and finding them new families, there's all kinds of losses on both sides to cope with and to work through. Um, and then I did hospice again, and now I'm in private practice. I have been for over a decade. I co-own Central Counseling Services in Southern California with a friend of mine. And I do um, almost exclusively grief and loss, dementia, um, end of life, chronic illness. I run a dementia support group as well. Mm -hmm. um, as a community service, because social workers never stop being social workers. Yeah. So I have a on now it's an online grief group because of the pandemic, which has been mm -hmm. fabulous because now we've got people for coming in from other parts of the country. Right. And yeah. so now I'm doing telehealth and doing grief therapy online. And I think that's wonderful because I live in a more rural area. And so, you know, just to find that help, and especially when you're in the early stages of grief, um, you don't might not have the energy <laughs> to drive yourself to a support group, right? You and know all you what? have to do is get up and click on. Or even to therapy. I, yeah. I, I was yeah. doing some online before the pandemic because people attracted me down and they were out of area. Mm -hmm. And what I found is doing grief work online is it's more intimate. You're really, really face-to-face. -face. Right. There's no space. There's no wiggle room. Right. And you don't have to walk a client out past a waiting room. Right. Yeah. They get to take their time out and recompose or do what they need to do or get started on their homework. They can do that right after we click off. Oh my gosh. You said the key word homework, right? Yeah. I, one of my biggest pet peeves, Jill, is that people will say in time, this will get better. Time heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time and hard work does. Time and hard work. If you just sit for time, it just festers like a bad yes. soul. Yes. 
I always say, if you lay, you decay. (laughs) I like that. I'm married to a mortician. I will have to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So that is your professional experience. That's a professional. Okay. Your real life experience. The, the person who's walked the walk. So walking the walk, I've had some of the usual losses. I lost my dad 14 years ago, but, um, I was married for 23 years to Linda, who was an emergency room nurse. And together we adopted two kids and we're beginning to adopt a third child who I adopted after her death. Um, She had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. She had really bad breast cancer. Mm. So about 10 years before she died and we heard the oncologist say, this was July, you're gonna be dead by December. So we got ready for her to die while we got ready for her to fight. And she had all the chemo, all the really, really bad chemo. And she survived. She went to work two days after mastectomy with drains in. She was a fighter. Part of that was health insurance, but part of that was she just had the fight. Mm -hmm. And she survived it. We came back to California. We were in Florida at the time. We adopted our kids. We lived our life. We got into a car accident she tore her ACL, which is normally not a big deal, but she had surgery and ended up in pneumonia. And then she had pneumonia over and over. We were waiting for a referral to a pulmonologist. We ended up in the hospital because you're we, right? When right. you do illness, you do we. Right. And so Jill and Linda did this and she was getting ready to be discharged and a hospitalist walked by and said, you know, she doesn't have pneumonia, right? I said, uh, no, I didn't know that. And he put her scan up in the hallway on a light box because this is back in the day. Yeah. And <laughs> pre like 14 <laughs> years ago and we had light boxes instead of computers. And uh, he said, that's pulmonary fibrosis. She's going to die. That was how I found out she was terminally ill. And then I had to go tell her. And we had about four years after that. But you can't win with PF. It, yeah. it will take you down. Nobody gets to survive that. And unless you get a lung transplant and then you're, but she couldn't have a transplant because she'd had chemo. Yeah. So we lost her and um, she was not bed bound till the week before she died. Wow. She was just a trooper. But while she was on hospice, she became very close to one of the hospice nurses because nurses are like this right? They are their own people. They make their own culture. They speak their own language. And even though I did hospice, I was the social worker and they were nurses. Right. And Casper was coming by and bringing her yoo-hoos and, you know, M&Ms because they just buddied up. They Mm -hmm. came from the same background, had the same parents kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And as Linda was getting closer to death, she said, no, you got to marry Casper. And I said, I'm... I'm losing my wife. I'm not marrying anyone. Thank you very much. She told our minister. She told our kids. She told our best friends. She told Casper, you have to come back and marry Jill and help her finish raising the kids. You fit the family. The kids like you. I can't (laughs) die unless I know she's not alone with the kids. And we both said, we're not discussing this. This is not fantasy island. This is weird. You need to stop. Mm -hmm. Turns out she was right after she died. Um, now mind you, I had been a caregiver for about 10 years total at that point, right. out of our 23, um, Casper and I had coffee a few times we clicked and I broke all the widow rules, but I had to sneak around because thou shalt not. Right. 
Um, and Casper and I ended up together and she fit very well. And then about 10 months later, we were in Hawaii and we'd taken the kids to Hawaii on a trip that Linda wanted to do and couldn't. We were finishing mm -hmm. that part. Right. And she was holding her coffee and all of a sudden her coffee cup flew across the lanai. It's like, what is that about? And that was Louis body dementia coming in. And Louis body dementia is what Robin Williams had. Right. So it starts with Parkinsonism and dementia and psychosis all at the same time. It's like the craziest bad dream you could ever have. Now I do dementia, all the dementias are bad. So if anyone listening is thinking, Jill doesn't think Alzheimer's or frontotemporal, right. they're all bad. None of them are a good thing. Louis body is particularly horrific in that you check in and out. Mm -hmm. You are okay, then you're psychotic, then you can't remember, then you come back and you remember that you couldn't remember and you remember that you were psychotic. Wow. And that happens all the Seems way to the very end. very cruel. It's horrific. It is. And so you know what's coming and there's nothing you can do. And it took about three years and from start to finish because she was early onset. Linda died at 58. Casper died at 57. Wow. Right. Sorry. So I need to get to 59 and then I will know I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite there yet. So both of their deaths taught me a lot about how you do grief and how you don't. And in the middle of all that, Linda and I went and made funeral arrangements for her because Linda was a nurse and she was practical. Mm -hmm. I'm going to die. We got to get this done. So we met with Stacy, remember that name, at the mortuary and we made cremation arrangements. And then while Linda was dying and then while Casper was ill, I wrote blogs on Blogger because I got tired of telling people what was going on right. and explaining because you don't have time when you've got someone who's ill. You don't have time for the phone calls. I hate the phone. I didn't want to respond to all the text messages and emails. So I wrote blogs about what was going on. Right. And Stacy, the funeral director, was reading these blogs and she became friends with us. She'd come to our wedding and she started stopping by and dropping off little gifts like Hawaiian shave ice kits so that we could have Hawaii at home. Mm -hmm. And I'd lost a lot of my support team because when you break the widow rules, People abandon ship. Oh, even if they right? don't break the even rules, if you they don't. abandon when ship. It's sometimes when, too heavy for them. When it's lost, when someone's mm -hmm. dying, people are afraid of it. After someone's died, other people don't like it. Some of the people who are afraid during the dying are embarrassed, so they don't come back. So your support team gets smaller. Mm -hmm. Break the rules and you're really done. And so I had a smaller team, but I had my hospice team because I was hospice at the time. I had some good friends. I had my girlfriends from childhood and Stacy just blended in and started helping. And she was there within hours after Casper's death. She made her cremation arrangements and now Stacy and I are married. So I keep my family close and tight and everybody knew everybody, yeah. which not many people can say. And now how long, how long have you been married to Stacy? We're coming up on seven years. Oh, well, wonderful. So we got That's past wonderful. that. We got yeah. past some of the special moments and we're still here. Oh, good for you. Well, that's yeah. wonderful. So you have the real life experience and the professional experience. So, I mean, like, you know, what, what you speak and I, I see in you a strength that um, is important for people to know that all of us have this within us if we choose it. Right. 
We do. You can draw on that and pull it in and take it with you. You don't have to grieve and be sad for every day, forever. Right. It's not healthy. <laughs> it's it's not healthy. And I don't know how I learned my lessons and 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 I and, and I have and I've shared them. I feel recently pulled since I was 50 into this world. I have been trying to deny it for all the years prior to it um, because it is so painful because I am an empath. Um, but I feel that my, my calling is to help people realize that there is still a lot of wonderful, beautiful life ahead if you choose it. And that's why it's a graduation process. You know, like you're, right. you're graduating to the next level, but you're also graduating through your journey to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And sometimes just because you're not crying in all every day, all day, every day, you know, doesn't mean that you're okay, you know? So a lot of people drop off there at that point, right? Because you're not crying every day. Or a lot of people don't realize that you're holding it all together, but the minute you leave work, <laughs> you're it falling apart, out. right? Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, there comes a need for support for those places where you are feeling okay, where most people think they need you need them right at the beginning, which you do, you still need that support and encouragement and tools to graduate back into a life that can be filled. You can live it on purpose. You can be filled with passion and joy again. And that's what I want people to know. And you are a living example of that. You can feel the sunshine on your face, right? That's, you, you got to get there. And there's nothing wrong, even when you're grieving. And even in those initial moments, you can still smile. Yes. You can still go out. The morning Linda died, I went outside. It was a beautiful, sunny day. I went out and smelled the roses, literally. Mm -hmm. Because being in that fog for the rest of my life, it just doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit most people. But they don't sometimes have permission to not stay there because other people are not done. Or other people need them to be sad about this loss. And so they try to fill that role and it cuts off the rest of their life. Right. Yeah. It cuts so, off their fun yeah. and their passion and where they're going. Right. It, but, you know, at some point too, if you've been in it so long, <coughs> excuse me, in that negativity so long, you're getting some kind of payoff um, to it. Right. It's a secondary gain. Yes. Yeah. And people get angry when they hear that. But I mean, it would have been very, I just think back to, it would have been very understandable if I stayed down and curled in the fetal position. Oh, absolutely. And people would say, I don't know how she gets back. I don't know how she could do it. I don't blame her. I would be in the same, you know, so there would have been a payoff for it, but oh my gosh, I can't imagine the life I have now compared to a life if I would have chosen that. So mm -hmm. let's move into the five tenets of rebellious widowhood. <laughs> I love this. Trust yourself and grieve your way. Explain that. When you are in initial grief, after you've gotten through the initial trauma, because there is trauma, even if you know someone's dying, there's some trauma. But then you have to really look at what is it that I want to do? Mm -hmm. What do I need? Trust your own gut. 
You know yourself. You've known yourself longer than anyone else. Do it your way. Don't feel like other people can impose their rules, their values, their thoughts, what their needs are on you. Set the boundary and make it yours. Yes, that's number two. Establish healthy boundaries. You got to be able to say, no, you can't tell me. You can't set up for me how I'm going to grieve. I appreciate that you're still sad. I appreciate you had a different loss than I did, even though we lost the same person. Right. But this is how I'm doing it. And if you're not comfortable with it, then we can stay in contact. But I need any people around me who are going to be there with me. Mm -hmm. Number three, make changes needed to heal. You have the changes. You know what you need to do. What doesn't fit in your life anymore? What do you need to finish up? Because when we are grieving, what holds us in, in my not so humble opinion, is the leftovers. What didn't we say? What didn't we apologize for? What did they maybe need to apologize to us for? Mm -hmm. What things are we not, what dreams didn't we get to do? And how am I going to do them? Those sorts of things. That stuff holds us in. And we need to work through that so we can get to the other side. Right. And if you can't, you know, and it's okay if you can't work through that alone. It's perfectly fine to find someone, a professional to help you work through that. That's what therapists are for. Yes. Number four, make space for your late partner. You, one of the things grievers don't want to hear is get over it. Right. Move Mm -hmm. on. Move on is not a term most people want to hear what they want to hear and what they want to experience is I still got Linda and Casper with me. They ride with me everywhere I go. Their life with me is always going to matter. My life now is with Stacy, but I've still got them and they're still part of my life and they always will be. They're part of what made me who I am. Right. right? Which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. Cause I like all of us, you know, but They never leave you. They just are not part of your waking up every day. They're part of who you are. When you say that, when I, when I think of that, I, it's not like you have a choice that you left them, right? It's not a divorce. It's not, it was, but you know, and divorce is another kind of loss. Right. And that's, but, but what I'm saying is people act like, um, well, you know, if, if I could choose the lessons that I learned or having my son, well, I can't choose the lessons that I've learned and having my son. I can only right. choose one of those things. Right, right. You, you have to be able to take what's happened and incorporate it into you. Right. And have, again, the permission because you've incorporated it into making changes and finding joy again. Right. You carry them with you as always. part of you always. Always. But, but you but it's not like you can go back because they're not they're not no. here on this plane with us. No, no. And if you find a therapist, find someone who knows that. Because there are a lot of people who don't know how to do this work. Just like there are a lot of friends who don't haven't done your loss and have advice that's not helpful. Right. I just so, had a, yeah, I just uh, had a friend to me that said, um, 
she, she sent a gift and I said, you're, I said, I opened it. And I said, that was my, I did, I was doing really well. I mean, I was, I, this was the longest I've gone today without crying. And then I opened your gift. I'm sorry for making you cry. You didn't make me cry. My loss of missing that person or that being made me cry. You right. showed me love. You don't have the power to make me cry. I'm tapping into the feelings I have about them and their loss. Yeah. And when I, I describe that to people who are like, well, I don't want to leave them behind. You know, you're always going to have those moments where you're driving past the park where you played with your son, or you go past the restaurant where you celebrated anniversaries. Right. Those moments are always going to bring back those memories. Right. And some days they, they might make you cry and other days they just make you smile. Right. And, and they're both okay. And they're both okay. Um, number five in, in uh, the, the new paradigm, allow yourself to love again. So most times we say, I'll never be happy again. Those are self-fulfilling prophecies. Please don't say that. <laughs> don't close your heart. Don't close your heart because it's painful now. Because they showed you how to love like that. Mm -hmm. Whether it's your child or your dad or like right now my sister-in-law is dying in North Carolina. So those moments, those relationships showed you how that kind of love works and what that means and how wonderful that is. If you say, I'm never gonna love like that again, it, it means you're closing yourself off to that kind of experience. And if it was wonderful before, it can be wonderful again. And it's not gonna be the same, it's going to be different. Right, and there's space for everybody. I love, I love this book. Um, I love the message in it. I love you sharing your openness. I love, I love the fact that you say, you know what, just don't settle for what you're hearing because what you're hearing, I, I love the big lie and you put down the lies, the myths of, of what, what grief is supposed to look like, you know, um, don't make any changes. You need to make changes. You know, you need to get out of this environment. You know, don't change anything yet. It's too soon. All these, everything conflicts. When you have them written down in black and white, everything is conflicted. It is. And that's when I was starting to write this. And I started this book even while Linda was alive and it just sort of evolved. But all the messages you get are so conflicted. You, you're told to do one thing, but then do the other, do this, do that. And I have a dear friend who's a hospice nurse. She went to her husband's funeral, came home and found all of his clothes gone from the closet because somebody had decided for her that they needed to be gone for her to get through this. Mm. Get rid of the clothes. Don't get rid of the clothes. Close the bedroom door and don't ever go in your child's room again. Open it up and absorb who they were. And you're really, it conflicts all the time. We should be able to let people grieve and work through it and not have to stay in that space for the rest of their lives to demonstrate that they loved somebody. So if you had to give someone advice, I mean, I, I love the fact that you can give the advice, but then you can say, look, happiness can exist. You can, yes. you can be filled with love and joy again. I'm living proof. I know that it's possible because I am living proof. That's the best example, right? It is. It is. And people track me down to see me professionally because I am transparent. 
so they do know my story when they track me down. They've read bits about me and, and heard podcasts. And so clients will come and say, I want someone who's, I love it when they say this, who's mature enough to understand. Okay, that means I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the blue hair. Um, but they want someone who's boots on the ground and has experienced it and can tell them it's not going to feel like this forever, that they are okay if they choose to get through this and find love again in whatever way, shape, or form that is, that it's okay to be happy again, that they they can smile. I used to say it's okay to take the grandkids to Disneyland again, but we can't say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's that sort of thing. We want pe- I want people to not grieve forever. I want them to take that person who they loved immensely and realize what parts of them they're carrying with them and share that person for the rest of their life. So people who've never met Linda know Linda because I introduce her to them in one way, shape or form. Our Christmas tree looks like a memorial tree because every time someone dies, they get an ornament. So all the pets have an ornament. All the people have an ornament, right? All the places you've been go up there, right? That's our, your Christmas tree is the life you've had. Right. And I don't cry when I put the ornaments up. I smile and remember the happy tears. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, sometimes, you know, if you can just focus on gratitude, like I'm trying to focus on the gratitude right now with my loss instead of the, the pain of the loss, but the gratitude of the years of joy together that, but also the love and support I'm feeling from, from people that are helping to fill that hole right now. Right. There is still so many things to be grateful for in this life. And you there just have are. to, you just have to, to find, to be open to, to looking for them and finding them. And soon then you'll see them everywhere. Absolutely. I, I lost my beloved pup last year. Mm. My one that I had the super connection to, I've mm. had a few in the years. She was one of them. And she's my screen. So when I turn on my computer, her little eyes are looking at me every day. There's a little clutch, but there's more of a, I am so blessed that I had that, that connection with that yeah. little creature. I know. And, and that everyone else did too, because my dog sit on my lap when I do therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so she well, had a following. Yeah. So how can people find you? Um, I, would, I would love to, to be able to share that information with people. You can find my website at www.jilljohnsonyoung.com. I'm a .com. It's a little weird for a social worker. Um, and then there's also the, Re- the Rebellious Widow is on Facebook. And there's a Rebellious Widow website that will be up probably in the next two weeks or so. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well as Jill Johnson Young LCSW. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, if, if you Google, you will find. You'll find, yes. And the books are on Amazon. Yes, yeah. all her books are on Amazon. The Rebellious Widow comes out in March. Right, it's on pre-sale now. Okay, wonderful. And Jill. it's ebook as well as, as softback. Perfect. Jill, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Graduating Grief Podcast. For more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.sherrydunlevy.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.